Um, good evening. Hope all of you are doing well. Uh, we are starting at a new Mishnah toward the top of Mem Aleph Amid Beis. I know we're a little bit off kilter in regards to where we've been taking our breaks, but all of that is because I'm unavailable tomorrow. No shear at all tomorrow. Uh, we will have learned, uh, we will be learning today up until the end of the parak, which is approximately till tomorrow's daf. And then Thursday night, we'll be learning uh, starting at the new parak, a clean start. So let's start at the new Mishnah. Today's daf is about 50 times easier than last night's daf, maybe 100, uh, as we've been chatting uh, about all of the halachos of Shavias that we know little about. But this Mishnah is very, very relatable and extremely halachalamaisa. So let's get started. The Mishnah reads about 10, 12 lines down my mouth from the base. Yom Tov Harishon Shelchak Shechalios B'Shabbos. If the first day of, of Sukkot falls out on Shabbos, one should make sure, and it doesn't say this in the Mishnah, but it means that prior to Shabbos Yantif, that one should bring their Lulavim and Esrogim to the Shtushol. The next morning, the next morning, everyone should show up. And they should take their own Lulav and Esrog, and everyone needs to know that it's their own. Why do we say it's not because uh, we don't want to take, we don't want to accidentally switch, but rather, as we will see soon, because we normally have an assumption in, uh, in halacha that on let's say I can't find my tefillin, or let's say I'm five minutes shy of shki and I haven't put on tefillin yet, and I see your tefillin, I know you're you're a righty, your head's about the same size as mine, but you're not, you're not there to ask. So there we say, that's not a problem. You're allowed to use somebody else's tefillin. But when it comes to Lulav and Esrog, the halacha is that we have a din of lachem. We have a din that it has to actually be yours. And it can't be that you're borrowing someone's tefillin. You can't borrow someone's Lulav and Esrog on day one. That doesn't work because of the din of lachem, as we will see. And therefore, one had to be makir es shelovanotlo. You had to know which one was yours. The sha'ari mosachag, from days two until the end of chag, but on future days, there is no din of lachem. On days two through seven, as it relates to sukkahs, there is no concern you can use someone else's esrog one third of the way down, a few lines before the end of the Mishnah. That's din number one, is that one must make sure to use their own uh, their own lulav and esrog on, uh, on the first day of Yatif. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Yom Tov Harishon Shel Chag, If you have a case scenario where... Um, where the first day of Sukkot falls out on Shabbos, and in your brain, your brain just totally slipped, and you carried out your lulav and esrog into a rishus harabim. So what's the halacha? The halacha is your putter. Wow. Why would you be putter? You carried something that was the requisite shear. You carried something in a real rishus harabim. Why are you not chayav? So it says the Mishnah, a very uh, uniquely worded line. Because you took it out of your Rishus Hayachid into a Rishus Harabim Birishus. Now, if you read the words at face value, it seems like it was Mutter Birishus, right? It seems like you're allowed. So Rashi clears that up because that's certainly not true. A quarter of the way down in the Rashis, Dibur Hamaschil, Shehotzio Birishus, Rashi says, What was your mindset when you took it out? It was Birishus Mitzvah. What you were thinking about was Lula Venesrog. You were, you were so. Um, uh, swallowed by the, the idea of being of fulfilling the mitzvah, you were tarred, like we've seen previously about a chassan and other case scenarios where one is tarred the mitzvah. So here Rashi says, "Bereshus mitzvah shahayat tarred the mitzvah umechashev veasuk umemaher laasosa umitochkach ta veshachach shehu shabbos." What do we see here? That this was really a shogeg. 
The shogig was you had a shikha, you forgot that it was Shabbos at, because you were tarred the mitzvah. Rashi continues, the kasava rebiosi, ta bedvar mitzvah, veshagag bedvar kares, patar mi korban. Rebiosi in our Mishnah, the second din of our Mishnah, holds that if one was toe, if you made a mistake while trying to do a mitzvah, and in the process you were shagag bedvar kares, you inadvertently did something that otherwise could have earned someone the punishment of kares. So he says under those cases, one is pater mi korban, and that is in fact our Mishnah. Pater means your pater mi korban, end of the Mishnah. Asks the Gemara, a little bit more than a third of the way down, how do we know the first din of our Mishnah? The first din of our Mishnah indicated that, uh, that the Chachamim said that I can't use your lulav on Yom Torishon and you can't use mine. So where do we know this from? The rabbis taught us a two-part drasha. We know, of course, the Pasuk says Let's look at those first two words. That every single person has an obligation to do this. You cannot be yotze with other people. Some of the Rishonim are very bothered by this. The Me'iri in particular <clears throat> was bothered, like, yeah, we know that there, there are some mitzvahs that other people can be mo to you, but what's the, that's not most mitzvahs, by tefillin, by shofar, like, shofar, shofar is someone's going to be yo to you in one way, because they're the Baal Tokin, everyone is shomeya, but tefillin, other people can be mo to you, sukkah, other people can be mo to you, I'll be in the sukkah today, I'll have you in mind. Of course that doesn't work so he's bothered by this he gives a whole um, a whole word here anyways that's the first part of the pasuk halfway down on that every single person has an obligation to do the mitzvah themselves and then here is the part that's uh the part that is convincing for our mishnah when it says says the gemara that on day one that one who borrows a, a lulav and esrog or one who steals a lulav and esrog they are not yotze and that is why the Gemara says, four lines into the new Gemara here, So that's the drasha that we see in the Brisa. Um, and the Brisa ends with a couple of extra words that I cannot be yotze with your lulav and your esrog, unless what? Unless I give it to you bimatana. Now, this is uh, one of the introductions to a famous shasugya called matana, almanas lahachzer. It's very clear that if I buy my lulav and esrog for $150 and you want to be yotzeit, I'm happy to give it to you by matana. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, and you're going to give it back to me when you're done. I spent some good, good hard-earned money on that. So we're going to learn about that so good tonight. But before we do, let's continue learning in the Brisa. The Gemara says a story. Sounds like the Chevra, except that Rabbi Tarfon is missing. Uh, from the famous story in the Haggadah, they were on a boat, and only Rabban Gamliel had a lulav and esrog that he had purchased for 1,000 zoos. So how can we make sure that he and all of the others can be yotze on Yom Tov Rishon, how they, they, they can all be yotze with a lulav and an esrog? So says the Gemara, Natalo Rabbi Rabban Gamliel, v'yotzebo, so he took the lulav and esrog, and he was yotze. He did the mitzvah. Then he handed it over with bimatana. He says, here, I'm, this is no longer mine. Now it's yours. So he picked up the lulav and esrog, and he did his bracha. He did the na'anuim. Then he passed it on to the next person. The dominoes are falling. So Rabbi Lazar ben Azari did the mitzvah, and then he gave it bimatana to Rabbi Akiva. He as well did the same, and then Then he returned it to Rabban Gamliel. It says the Gemara, 
Why, why did, I understand all the matana parts. I understand that you can't be yotze unless I give my lulav to you, b'matana. That I totally understand. But why do I have to give it back to you? Why, why did the Brayse say that Rabbi Akiba gave it back to Rabbi Gamliel? Lama li zero. It says the Gemara, milsa agav orche kamash malan. We are learning a secondary rule from this Brayse. The primary rule that we're learning is, of course, that I cannot be yotze with lulav and esorgan day one unless, that, unless it's mine or you give it to me b'matana. And the second thing is this idea of matana al-manas l'hachzir, shma matana. And that's where we are, three-fourths of the way down um, on the bottom of Memala from the base, that a matana al-manas l'hachzir, the reason why Rabbi Akiva was quoted as saying that he returned the lulav and esrog to its original owner, Rabbi Gamliel, was to fulfill this, uh, was not so much to fulfill, but to teach us this halacha, of matana al-manas l'hachzir, shma matana. Says the Gemara, this also plays out in another area. This was all Tanaim so far. Now we're going to see some Amorim, Kihad Amar Rabba. Hey, lach esrog, here's an esrog zeh, almanas shetachzirehu li. So I'm giving you an esrog that you can use on the condition that you give back to me. It's literally matan almanas lahachzir. That's how he framed it out. Natalavi yatsavo, hechzero yatsa, lochzero lo yatsa. Unbelievable idea. Hechzero yatsa. If you give back the esrog, then you were yotze. But here's the crazy part. Lo hechzero, if you didn't give back the esrog, you broke the rules. The, the whole matana that I gave you was betnai that I get it back. So it almost seems backwards. I'm giving this item to you. So it's almost kind of free and clear in one way that you can be yotze the mitzvah to the point that it's fully yours. But what we're seeing in the Gemara is not that way. The Gemara is saying that the returning of the item when we do a matana manas is part of the condition of being yotze the mitzvah. So if I take your lulav and esor, you say, Phil, you can use this. I know you left yours day one. I don't know what you did with yours. You can use mine b'matana. So I'm holding it. Okay, turn the esor over. Great. So then let's say I decide not to give it back to you. You gave it to me. It's mine. I, I have every right to keep it. So maybe you have every right to keep it, but you're not Yotze Lulav and Esro. Because says the Gemara, Hech zero Yotza. If you return it, you're Yotze, but Lo Hech zero Lo Yotza. And that, therefore, we see the Matan Manas Lahachzir has such strong teeth that it's not just that this theoretical loophole of giving you a matana works, but it's even stronger that even if you were to opt to keep it, which may be within your rights, you've undone the mitzvah that you did retroactively. Is, is there like a time frame? It doesn't. It keeps it overnight and you give it back the next day. In our case, they didn't return it. You gave it to the next guy. Right. It's very interesting. No, not in the Rava case. Not in the Rava case. That, what you're saying is in the Rabban Gamliel case. It's true. It dominoed to other people. That's true. But in that case as well, the last line of Rabbi Akiva was So what if Rabbi Akiva didn't give it back? By the way, guys, two, three, and four in the middle didn't, didn't give it back to the first guy. They gave it forward. They passed it on. But the whole thing had to be with the mindset of that Rabbi Gamliel had to get it back. They all knew it. But it wasn't like you're seemingly implying that guy number one, uh, back to Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Gamliel, you give it again. Back to Rabbi Gamliel. That, that would have made more sense according to this did, but that's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara clearly implies, because it doesn't say, it says clearly what they did. They gave it to guy two. Guy two gave it to guy three. He didn't give it back to Rabban Gamliel who gave it to guy three. Who gave it back to Rabban Gamliel who gave it to guy four. It didn't happen that way. So as long as, this is me talking, as long as it makes it back to the original guy, then two, three, four in the middle, no problem. But if it never gets back, then seemingly, the shot in the Gemara would be the guys two, three, four, and whoever else were not Yotze the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog because it's a matana al menas lahachzir. The whole matana of you getting the rights to that Lulav is conditional on its return to its initial owner, even though you didn't have to be the one to give it back if there's a whole chain of people.
So it's very, very interesting. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have thought, wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have thought that that would have been the case. I would have thought they had to give it back to Rabbi Gamliel. And then with Rava, it's even more explicit that uh, if you don't give it back, you are not Yotze. Then says the Gemara, why did this little story with Rabban Gamliel have to say how much the Esrog was? Says the Gemara, Why? So says the Gemara, Of course, we are well, it is well known that one is obligated, of course, to do mitzvot saseh, but when it comes to mitzvot saseh, so one is obligated to give only up to 20%, only, only up to 20% of their I don't know how the math works, but I'll say their livelihood. I don't know exactly, like, is it savings? I don't know all that stuff. Yeah, I figured out. But uh, let's hope we're never in such a situation. But they, it was just kama mitzvos chavivos Are you allowed to do more? Okay, all of these are good shots. So that's why the Gemara um, went out of its way to say that it was be'el of Zuz um, to show us that there was mitzvos chavivos um, connected, but new sugya, we're four lines from the wide lines, five lines from the wide lines on mem alathum Amarle mar bar amemar leravashi. When he said, my father used to daven with them in his hand. He used to hold the lulav and esrog during Shemona Esrei. That's interesting because we all know from day school that you're not allowed to hold anything other than a sitter in your hand during, uh, during davening. So says the Gemara in, in line with that uh, thinking is Mesve. Hold on one second. We have a Tanaic source that seems to question what he did over there holding it during Shemona Esrei. Lo yochaz adam tefillin biyado. One is not allowed to hold tefillin in his hand with Sefer Torah b'cheko or to hold in his, uh, against his chest to hold a Sefer Torah b'yispadel. We're afraid that it might drop. And as well, lo yashin b'hen mind. You can't walk into the bathroom holding uh, holding tefillin. You can't fall asleep. You might fall asleep and it might fall out of your hands. As well, of course, you have a knife or you have a bowl. A loaf of bread or coins. And all other things. We're afraid that they might fall. So why are you allowed to daven shmon esr? Why are you holding a lulav and Doesn't make sense. Says the Gemara, first of the very long lines, over there, lav mitzvah ninhu. There, in all of those cases, you're not necessarily doing a mitzvah. Yes, you're holding tefillin, you're holding a Torah. You're not fulfilling one of the 613 commandments. But where you're holding the lulav and esrog, mitzvah ninhu there's no tirda. It's not a question of, are you afraid that you might drop the knife? Are you afraid that you might drop the, uh, the, the tefillin? You're performing a mitzvah as, we're, as it stands. And therefore, because there's no tirda, this is the halachic nuance, because there's no tirda of what you're holding and you're performing a mitzvah, therefore, seemingly, it should be mutter to do that. The Gemara embraces this. The Gemara embraces this idea that it seems to be totally mutter to hold the lulav and esrog tanya, just to show us the scope of what people used to do with their lulav and esrog, the Bryce writes as follows. Rabbi Elazar bar Tzadok Omer. This is what the, uh, the elders of Yerushalayim used to do. He'd leave his house during any time on Sukkot, carrying his lulav and esrog. Walking to Shul, he's got it in hand. He would say Kriyashma. He would be davening Shmona Esrei. Remember that Tfila, whenever referenced loosely, Tfila in Shas usually means Shmona Esrei. He would hold it in his hand. However, if he was learning Torah or he was doing this Yes Kapai, there you have to put them down because there you can become so immersed. You can become so immersed in your learning that you're going to get distracted and it might fall. And that's not okay. If one has an obligation 
to do Bikor Cholim or to be Menachem Avel, Lulavo Biyado. He should be holding the Lulav in hand. Nichnas Labesa Medrash, if he's going in to learn, so here as well. So it says the Gemara, Mishagar Lulavo Biyad Beno Uviyad Avdo Viyad Shlucho. He should send it home with someone. Let somebody else hold it. You're busy right now. My Kamash Malan, what does this Bryce of Rebelazar Bar Tzadok teach us? It's a beautiful idea to see such a reason, such a commitment to a mitzvah that you're not even willing to put it down. In many areas, there's a Musar Haskel for us. That's absolutely true, but we're uh, coming upon the holidays relatively soon. It's a beautiful thing to walk around with a Lulav and Esrog. Rabbi Yossi Omer, very bottom line of Malafum and Bey, is Rabbi Yossi Omer that on Yom Tov, if you walk outside, that you're going to be putter if you carried out the Lulav and Esrog on Shabbos. And we said the reason why was because uh, you were basically, as Rashi pointed out, you were Tov Bidvar Mitzvah. So it says the Gemara, Omer Abaye, as we turn to the top of Membez Medalev, Lo Shanu. The only time we say that one will be potter for carrying out a lulav and esrog is if they weren't yotze the mitzvah yet. Because remember, as Rashi said, what was the whole svara? You're involved in a mitzvah. What if you already yotze the mitzvah? Well, if you already yotze the mitzvah, so then no, then, then I can't give you the loophole of saying that you're potter because you're not to'a bidvar mitzvah. You were already yotze that day. And it's not like the mitzvah of tefillin that every second you wear your tefillin, you get another mitzvah. This is checking the box. You're done. The second you flip over the esrog, the whole thing is over. The moment has happened. It's occurred already. So if at 7 a.m. you are about to leave your house and you are so excited at your table, you take out the lulav and esrog, esrog upside down, bracha, turn it over, na'anuim, and then like that you walk to shul, Abayi says you don't get the heter. You don't get the leniency of no korban in that case. But had it been you were already yotze the mitzvah of lulav and esrog, the halacha is you'd be chayev. Says the Gemara. What? But what? Like what's the practicalities of this? The second you pick up the lulav and esrog, you're yotze. Remember we said it's a, it's a moment in time. It's not difficult to be yotze the mitzvah of lulav and esrog. So says the Gemara. And this is of course where we get our custom from of when we make the bracha, we hold it upside down. That's when you hold the esrog upside down. Because when you hold the esrog upside down, you're not yotze. So if you were going to walk to show like that on Shabbos in order to be putter, you'd have to first not have done the mitzvah yet. And second of all, hold the lulav and esrog in a way where you're not yet yotze, which is holding the esrog upside down. And Rava, line three, men Bezimadalov gives his own answer. Rava Amar Afilutema Shalohovcho. Even if you're holding the Lulav in the right, that Lulav and Esrog, each of them in the right direction, you would still be Pater. What are we talking about? This is what we do nowadays, where we walk around with a Kli that holds the Lulav and Esrog. So says the Gemara, of, you can't say you're not Yodse. You remember a couple of days ago, just a few blot ago, it was at the top of the Amun, the top of Lamed Tess. It felt like yesterday. That what? <laughs> what a beautiful memory, David. Yeah. So it says the Gemara that Rava says over here the reason why you're still Pater, you're not Yotze the Mitzvah, you have the Esrog and a Kli. Perfect. That's our case scenario. Says the Gemara. That doesn't even make sense. Remember, five blot ago, Rava was of the opinion that if you take a Sudar, you take a handkerchief, and you use it as a hefsek between your hand and the Lulav, he says you're still Yotze because it's still considered if you have gloves on, we still treat it the same if there's a sudar, if there's a handkerchief. So says the Gemara, how can Rava say over there that you're still Yodse, Lulav and Esrog, but over here you're not because the Esrog is inside its own box? Who cares if it's in its own box? 
Lakicha, what's the language of the Gemara? That it's Lakicha al Yudei Dover Acher, Shema Lakicha. So he sows her himself. So answers the Gemara, it's not a stira. Rava knows exactly how to answer this question. Rava explains six lines down, when we're taking the handkerchief and we're doing it because I need to hold it with a handkerchief for technical reasons, I, whatever, my hands hurt, I have a bruise, whatever it is. Uh, so that's why I'm holding the lulav and esrog with a sudar with a handkerchief. Fine, that's derech kavod. Fine, but aval derech bizayon lo. You're gonna be yotze the mitzvah of lulav and esrog if the esrog still in the box. Could you imagine someone taking their lulav and holding it in the box and bringing the lulav still in its case? Baruch atah Hashem. It's a bizayon. It's a bizayon. That's not how you do the mitzvah. So that's Rava's distinction. On Daflamid Zion, where he said that you're allowed to use a sudar, that's derech kavod, and therefore over there, that's lekicha. Uh, I keep forgetting the line. That is Lakicha al Yudei Dover Acher. That's still Shema Lakicha. But over here, it's it's a bizayon to do the mitzvah that way, to keep the esrog in the box. That's not right. That's not right. Okay, so that's where we are. We're six lines down on Membez and Medalach. Let's continue. Amar Avhuna. We're trying to continue the idea here of Ta'abid Dvar Mitzvah. Amar Avhuna. Omer Haya Rebiosi. Ola sa'o ben agafayim. An ola, an animal that's an ola, is typically completely consumed. Let's say you have an ola sa'ov, um, and it's mixed up with a whole bunch of birds. Because savor, you thought, chata sa'ovhi, the achla, pater. All right, so we know there's two, there's a lot of different types of birds that you can bring. If it's an ola, you're not allowed to eat it because it's kula lashem. If it's a chatas, you are allowed to eat it. You thought that it was a chata, so you ate it, but really it was an ola, says the Gemara your pater. Asks the Gemara, my Kamashmalan, Ravuna, what kind of din are you teaching me from Rabyosi? So says the Gemara, it must be the Tabidvar Mitzvah Pater. It must be that in this case of Khatasa'uf, the reason why you're Pater is because you thought it was Khatasa'uf and really it was Olasov. You were wrong, but it was a Taos, a Tabidvar Mitzvah. So says the Gemara, but if that's true, then Hainu Hach. Then that case of the Ola Sa'of and the Chata Sa'of is the same as our case of our Mishnah, Mem Aleph Amad Aleph. They're both Tabid Mitzvah. Why are you giving me two Mari Makomos? I don't need two. That's extraneous. Real estate is important. We don't waste space. So why do we have two sources in the Tanaim that way? Says the Gemara, not so simple. 12 lines down. Mahu hasam hu mitzvah pater mitzvah because we could distinguish between the two cases as follows in our Mishnah we said you were tabidvar mitzvah you made a mistake with a mitzvah and you were doing a mitzvah or you were on your way to do a mitzvah but here says the Gemara in the case of the Ola Sa'of that you should not have eaten the tabidvar mitzvah the lo avad mitzvah everything is done already the animal was shechted already. There's no mitzvah that you're doing anymore. It's over. So aim alone. I might have thought that in that case, we would not say that you're Tabidvar Mitzvah Pater. Kamash Malan, that the, the latitude of Tabidvar Mitzvah is very wide. Tabidvar Mitzvah doesn't just mean I have a mitzvah that's looming in front of me, like our Mishnah Memalafam Adal, but even one that is behind me, which is bringing the Chatasa over, Olasaf in this case, and says the Gemara, in both cases we apply Tabidvar Mitzvah's Pater. That's why we needed two cases, one where the Mitzvah was in front of me and one where the Mitzvah was behind me. Says the Gemara, wait a second. Wait a second. We have a case that breaks all the rules. One third of the way down, we have a question from a, a Tanaic source. Rabbi Yossi Omer, We have a case scenario where a person was shechting a korban tamid and it was not mevukar. It was not checked properly. We know that we have a din. It's uh, coming upon us, at least its application, is that whenever you are about to bring something behakrava, it has to be checked with at least four days of prep time. And we know that that's true. And that's why we are about to start in what, less than two weeks time. We're about to start 
uh, saying slichos. And when do we say slichos? We have to make sure that there's a minimum of four days between that Saturday night, Saturday night, uh, and then Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. We need a minimum of four days before Rosh Hashanah. We're walking in front of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. We have to have at least four days of slichos. The Sephardim have a whole different can of worms. If there are any Sephardim in the room, your son-in-law was that, right? That's a lot. They're already in the thick of it. Oh, whatever. It's almost halfway through Elo. It's very early or very late. I think very early. Do they do late at night? I don't think so. Mostly early morning, right? Yeah. So it's very early. Anyways, we extracted, this is quoted in the Mishnah Brura and the Halachos of Rosh Hashanah, that we are we need four days of prep time. So let's say that with this Korban HaTamid, you didn't do the four days of prep time. So why do, why are you Chayi V'chatas? Why, why are you Chayi V'chatas? Why don't we say Tabit Var Mitzvah? We, Monavshach, whether you say that it's like our Mishnah or like the case of the birds, either way, if the mitzvah is behind us or in front of us, it doesn't make a difference. It's Tabit Var Mitzvah. So we should say that you're Pater. Why does this Mishnah, uh, why does this Brisa over here by the Korban Atamid say that if you do so Shabbos, you're Chayi V'chatas V'tzarech Tamir Acher? Why? We should at least say Tabit Var Mitzvah in your Pater. So it says the Gemara, Amar Lei Bar Dehahi. You're absolutely right that that's a good question, but we have to exclude that case. Why do we have to exclude the case of the Korban Atamid? Says the Gemara, Itmar Allah, because the Amorayim, when they learned that brisa, here's how they learned it. Amar of Shmuel bar Chatoi, Amar Rav Hamnuna Saba, Amar of Yitzchak bar Ashian, Amar Rav Huna, Amar Rav, Kegon Sheheviu Milishka She'enan Mevukaren. It's not that this animal wasn't checked. The whole room of animals wasn't checked and you were irresponsible about it. That's totally different. That's not Tabidvar Mitzvah. I thought it was Mevukar and I was wrong. You went to a pen where every animal was unchecked. We're not covering your back on that one, says the Kaddish Baruch. We're not doing that. You're Chayiv. That's your responsibility. You can't call that a Tabidvar Mitzvah. You were irresponsible. So now we see a line in the sand. Tabidvar Mitzvah can apply, of course, for Mitzvah in front of us. That's our Mishnah. Even in the case of Tabidvar Mitzvah, where the Mitzvah was behind us, they already brought the Hakrava, the Olas over the Chatas open. You ate it as you thought it was a Chatas, and you're wrong. Mitzvah was behind us. No problem. Tabidvar Mitzvah. The case of the Chatas, where all the animals in the room were not checked, and you want the, the, you want the leniency of Tabidvar Mitzvah. No, no, there's a minimum responsibility. You got to do the basics. And then if you mess up, okay, well, we got you. We're not malach, we're not malach, and we make mistakes all the time. That's fine, but it's got to be a mistake. It can't just be pure irresponsibility. And that is how the Gemara distinguishes in the sugya of Tabid Mitzvah. Halfway down, then base yeah, Where's what? It sounds like it's Pumayi. Maybe that's why the Gemara doesn't like, uh, maybe, I don't know how far it goes. Like we have to get into the Rishonim. Is it a mazid mamish? Because let's say the animal is not a Balmum. Let's say you lucked out. So you lucked out. But if the animal ends up having a movement, you did, I don't know, like we have to get into the details, but from the Gemara itself, the case itself, you did not do enough effort uh, of checking it. But I would imagine, I'm saying this on my own, Hashem, forgive me if I'm wrong, that if you didn't do any Bikur and the animal had no moon, is that animal kosher? I don't know. Oh, is that? Okay. It could be that, it, is it amazing? Is it irresponsible? Is it karav lamazid? Karav lamazid, right? That's a, an, another language that we use. It's, it's just irresponsible. Like you didn't do enough due diligence to check the animal. Halfway down. Mekabelas isha miyad bina, umiyad baila, umachzirto lemayim b'shabas. Husband and child come home from shul, holding the lulav and esrog. The wife is allowed to accept it from them and put it back in its water on Shabbos. Rashi? 
Where's Rashi? Rashi is in the very thick lines of Rashi, about four lines down in the thick lines of Rashi. First one on the Mishnah. What is she accepting from them? Yeah. Could you imagine in the home that for the husband and the son, where because it's a misfas and say shazman, grama, women are exempt. So maybe for the men in the household, the lulav and esrog is not muksa. But for the women in the household, it's muksa because <laughs> it's not shaykh by them. So the Mishnah says explicitly that it's not considered muksa by them. And then we're adding in another layer of conversation here. Can you put it back in the water? Fine. So what do we see from here? What we see from here is very interestingly is that a woman does not have a din of muksa as it relates to a mitzvah that has nothing to do with her. Why? So some of the Rishonim here point out, was it Rashi? I think it's Rashi. Some of the Rishonim here point out because she in theory could do the mitzvah if she wanted to. No, it's not Rashi. I don't remember where I saw it. Tos will say it. Someone writes this. I can't remember where. That because a woman is allowed to do a mitzvah, sasei shazman grama, even though she's exempt, so therefore it's shayach by her. Ledugma, women are not often mo'alim, but let's say uh, my wife uh, was, uh, was trained and the baby's got five minutes till shkia and it's Shabbos and there's, can she use the kalim? By me, it's katsoi, because in my head, it's not, it's never muksa. It's always in my head available for Shabbos in case I need to do a bris. But what if my wife, okay, do, do women do bris? Not really. I mean, there's a, there's a website, drmohelet.com here in Chicago. It exists. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. There's certainly precedent, but it's it's not her chiv because the, the mitzvah itself is a daytime mitzvah. The, the Shulchan Aruch writes, the Ramah writes, if you do a, a bris at night or if you do a bris before day eight, total zero in halacha. Total zero in halacha. You have to do a bris in those cases. The post can write that you don't make a bracha on a tafastan bris because there's a diun in the Rishonim if it's required, but the tafastan bris actually does work. I just got a phone call today from someone. Uh, we've decided we're doing the circumcision in the hospital. Would you mind doing tafastan bris? So I don't like those phone calls so much because like, that's not the way the Lord intended. You know, we have uh, 4,000 years of history. So I gave them the sales pitch and they said, does that work for you? So I'm very clear. I said, it's certainly not plan A. Um, and I would like to entertain the possibility of doing it on time properly, but I, I'm not, I don't make decisions for you, but plan A is to do it the right way is to have a, a Sabbath observant mole, do the bris on time. And if that's something that you don't want to do, then, then okay, well, yeah, okay, my hands are tied. I said, a drop nicer, but not much nicer. So what's your concern? They said, COVID. I'm like, you're probably less likely to get COVID at your house with me who's vaccinated with no symptoms and in a hospital that has a COVID unit. So <laughs> I'm just saying, talk to your medical physician. About it. Okay, anyways, let's get back to the Gemara. So that's what the Mishnah writes, that a woman doesn't have a din of muksa, uh, and she's allowed to put the, the esrog back, in the, the not the esrog, the other three meaning back in the water. The Behuda Omer, on the note of uh, putting things into water, on Shabbos, you can return it to water. And on Yantav, you can add water. And during Cholamo, you should change the water. Good. Last end of the Mishnah. And the last end of the Mishnah, as we will see, is going to lead to this snowball of halachos that a child who knows how to be mina'aneh, who knows how to shake a lulav, he is chayah belulav. That's a din in chinuch. He's a child. So, okay, he's a child. We're going to discuss a lot of that right now in the Gemara. Says the Gemara, Pshita, ma'udetema hol v'isha la Wait, wait a minute. Is it, isn't there a separate isra for a Shabbos, though? Not yamtuk necessarily, but putting a plant back in. Mishnah says, first line of the Mishnah, Mikabelis Isha Miyad Bano, Miyad Bailum Achzirto Lamaim Bi Shabbos. Right. So shouldn't that be Asr? It's mutter. That's what the Mishnah writes. 
The Mishnah Rai said it's mutter because it's not, you're not growing something from the ground. What's Shalom Yichmosh, as Rashi says? So the Shalom Yichmosh is so that it doesn't get all, it doesn't get ruined. It doesn't uh, get to become degraded. You were saying so what do we get? that's the distinction of Rabbi Huda yeah, and the Mishnah. Mishnah yeah. 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 So David, David thinks that you're possibly thinking about adding water, which is the, something that seemingly is mutter on yantif. That's the din of Rabbi Huda. It doesn't seem that there's a machlokas. I mean, I'm done from the Gemara. It doesn't seem that way at least. Okay, so it says the Gemara Pshita, it should be assumed that a woman should not uh, have any problems of muksa because we might have thought that uh, um, that uh, the because an isha is la baschiyuvahu that she should not be makabel kamashmal and that that's not true. I don't know what the Gemara's dialogue is a little strange. It doesn't add any new information. <laughs> that was our habamina. So it must be that it's actually uh, mutter for her to do the mitzvah and because of that, uh, there's no problem. Katan hayodel and naanea. All right, let's dig into some chinuch shilos. Tanu rabbanon katan hayodel and naanea chay belulav. If a child knows how to be menaanea, then he's obligated in the mitzvah of lulav. Lehis atef. If he knows how to put on tzitzis, then chay betzitzis. Lishmor tefillin. If he knows how to take care of tefillin, aviv lokeach lo tefillin. His father's obligated to buy tefillin for him. Now again, this gemara is not being robust and thorough. There's of course ancillary dinim to all of these. Um, and certainly by tefillin, a person has to be shomer gufo, gufnaki, when one is not allowed to pass gas, and the other halachos that apply as well. Once a child knows how to speak, he has to teach him Torah, and he has to teach him how to say kriyashma, Torah mahi, what is Torah? Famous uh, preschool song that all of our children have probably learned. And kriyashma mahi, how much of kriyashma do you have to know? Pasuk rishon, we don't have to go crazy. Saying Shema Yisrael at bedtime, you're good to go. Hayodea lishmar gufo, if a person knows how to be shomer guf, here this is not talking about shomer guf like by tefillin. Rashi points out this that a, that a child who knows how to protect himself from tumas maga and tumas masa, which is considered things of the guf. So that's of course talking about the world of taros. So then ochlan al gufo taros, then we rely on him, his ability to. Um, to protect himself from tumas mago masa to itaros. What about lishmor asyada? We know our hands are shni and tuma. So says the Gemara, if a child knows how to protect his hands to never become tummy, then ochlan al yoda of taros. And even if he touches things, you're allowed to eat them, no problem at all. So a child who you know, you can ask him a question and he'll give you the right answer. So then as it relates to Sveikos and Tuma Vitara, we'll apply the general rule that we've seen throughout Shas a dozen times already, that he's reliable enough. That if there is a child who knows how to be Lifros uh, Kapov, if he knows how to be Mavarech Kibir Kaskoan, he'll go up to Duchen. So then, then in a public forum, you're allowed to give him Truma. What is this talking about? Take a look at Rashi, two lines from the bottom. It's in the middle of the Rashi. In my uh, version of the Gemara, the Ozvahadr, it's the last word on the line. And within that last, Dibur HaMaschil, Umi Sheyodea. Umi Sheyodea lifros kapav uporis betzibor. Once a child knows how to be poris kapav, and he does so publicly, he stands up on the bima, he stands up by the Aron Kodesh and does uh, the duchening. Then at that point, at that point, we know that he is reliable to do this mitzvah doraisa. He must be a gadol mamish and he has two pubic hairs. A child who's a katan can't be the only person. He can be one of the people. He can't be the only one doing that. Otherwise, that would be problematic. Therefore, because he's publicly a kohen, therefore everyone therefore he can receive the food in public. Otherwise, as Rashi earlier said, he would have gotten the food one way or the other. They would have brought it to his home, but he couldn't get it in a public way until he was Porus Eskapa. And on the top of Membez and Membez, coming, coming toward the end of the parak, 
If a child knows how to do shechita, so then you're allowed to eat his shechita. That's, uh, that's amazing. Um, that only assumes that there is a gadol, that there is someone who is uh, who is bar mitzvah, who is standing above him. Once a child is able to digest and to eat a kezayis of dagan, dagan here is defined as Rashi highlights as the chameshes uh, minit dagan, barley, rye, oat, wheat, spelt. Browse is the acronym, easy to remember. Barley, rye, oat, wheat, spelt. If you've eaten any of those, then at that point, then the, the dirty diapers of that child, then in order to daven and do other things, you have to move dalad amos away from that diaper. Now, if you have a child who has yet to eat that kind of food, they're just bottle fed or they're nursing, then their diapers have no din of tzoa, and one is allowed to daven right there, right next to them. Unbelievable din. That, that is how we distinguish, only when they can consume dagan. So uh, when I was in Smicha, we were discussing this sugya. One of my rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Mann, who was uh, in Eretz Chemda in Eretz Yisrael, he used to say, it's not dagan mamish. Like once they start eating solid foods, at that point we treat soa like soa, and then you have to move away to aladamos. But the Gemara here adds in a, a very interesting distinction. Omar Chizda, fourth line, We only assume that his achila is actual um, solid food if he could eat a pras in the amount of time that would be of him to, let's say, make a bracha achrona. Not that he would, he can barely talk. He's a little child, he's three. But to eat a, a kezayis bechteachilas pras, let's call it a slice of bread within nine minutes. So not every that's not every not every three year old can do that. Not every two year old can do that. Depends how big of a mouth you are, how good of an eater you are. Some kids gag more than others. So if they have yet to do so, if they can't consume food at that rate, so afalpi that they ate the volume of food, but the rate was too slow. So therefore, that is not considered so. We still treat it like a child who has eaten no dagon whatsoever. What about a gadol who's of the same case scenario? Let's say you have a gadol who eats no grains. You have people who, we have we have people like that in our world. They have, they don't eat any of the barley, rye, oat, wheat, and spelt. Nothing. They don't eat anything year round like that. So their soa is not considered soa. How can that be? It says the Gemara. It is. When it comes to a bar mitzvah age person, even though a person cannot eat that volume of the chameshes mine dagan in that time, he's still going to have his tzoa to be treated like tzoa to the point that one is obligated to be merachik daladamos. The more das that a person gets, namely when you become a bar das, when you're no longer a katan, now you're old enough, then, then, then Yosef Machov, Rashi says four lines before the end of the parak, Machov Masriach, then his tzoa is considered to be Masriach, and at that point, no matter what, we treat him uh, to be that way, implying, of course, that if you are a katan, even if you're 12 years old, and you have some type of food issue, you cannot eat dagan at all, that it's not so. That's the implication of the Gemara. I'm not saying anything Allah Chalamaisa, but it does seem that way from the Gemara. Let's say that a person, uh, that a child is able to eat a kezayis of tzli, of roasted meat. So then in the times of the base of Mikdash, at that point, that child is uh, is worth including in the Chabura. As long as you can eat a kezayis, you're included. Rabbi Yehuda adds in a little bit of a caveat. It has to be that he distinguishes between what is food and what isn't food. Not just that he can stuff it in his mouth and eat it, but he has to be able to look at a plate and say, this is food and this is not. What's the test? Ketzad says, You give him a plate of food, he sees a rock, he's like, what's this doing here? Give me the goods. And he, then he recognizes the difference. He has to be able to be machalic. We have distinctions like this in the post game. For example, some post game write that if you have a katan, 
who doesn't know the difference between Shabbos and weekday. So then you left the light on in your bedroom. So you can hold that child in your arm standing next to the light switch and don't tell them what to do. Uh, but they can turn off the light switch. I spoke to Rav Rubin. If you remember the story, the awful story in Harnof many years ago where there was that attack in the show in Harnof. A bunch of people were unfortunately killed there. So the Rubin, I used to learn nights out of that. He said that it's mutter for a katan who cannot be mechalic between Shabbos. He can't tell what day of the week it is. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. So how old is that? It depends on your kid. Well, somewhere in the twos, and maybe three if you're lucky. Uh, but uh, somewhere in the twos usually. And similarly, that child has to say, today is Shabbos and tomorrow Sunday and then Monday. But a child who in the middle of Saturday is like, can I go to school? It's Tuesday. So that child is not, so similar distinctions here. He has to be able to be machalic between what is achila and what is not achila. He has to be able to say, this is a tzuror and I don't want to eat it. And this is ochel, this is an egos and I want to eat it. We'll stop right here. Hadron, Allah, Lula, Agazel, Yeratzim, we should come back to this daf together in seven and a half years. Wishing you all a beautiful night. <laughs>